And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today, Dr. Hans Vogt. Hi, how are you, Dan? Well, Hans, I'm well, thank you. And once again, we're tying you in via phone, and I want to thank you for your time. Earlier this week, you sent me an email uh, regarding Syria. And our, our listeners may recall that last week we talked about Syria, and we touched upon whether or not it was wise, from our opinion, from our vantage point as Christian men, that the United States may attack Syria. Well, that that news item is not going away, and it continues to foment. (laughs) Um, And you found an article that you sent to me, which I found to be very fascinating. So I'm wondering today what we can do is um, talk about this article. It came from the National Catholic Reporter. It was actually covering some of this issue that we talked about last week. Perhaps we could we could start there in our discussion today. Right. Well, one of the things we touched on at the end of our discussion last week was the fact that we do have uh, a number of fellow believers in Syria. Uh, Syria is, of course, one of the very first places the gospel went to. Uh, and uh, in the book of Acts, of course, uh, that's recorded that uh, Antioch, Uh, in Syria was the first place that Christians were called Christians. And that, of course, is uh, where Paul and Barnabas uh, operated out of on their missionary journeys. And so this is a very old, uh, one of the earliest centers of Christianity. And to this day, there's about 10% of the Syrian population who are Christians. Mm. Uh, And so I think as Christians here in America, we should be concerned about their fate in the midst of this ongoing civil war in Syria. Right. And this article that was written by John L. Allen Jr., um, it started off, second paragraph, talking about um, the regime of President Assad, but that um, these Christians that are in Syria generally prefer Assad's regime to the likely alternative, and that is the rising Islamic fundamentalism. And as they put it, the Iraq-style chaos in which religious minorities such as themselves would be among the primary victims. Well, that's right. I mean, obviously, in a perfect world, you would want to be uh, living in a country with a, a democratic government and, and full freedoms, and, and including freedom of religion and, and so forth. Um, but we don't live in a perfect world, and you have to choose among imperfect alternatives. Um, Assad, the current leader of Syria, is a Muslim. He's an Alawite Muslim, which is an offshoot of Shia Islam. Mm. And uh, so he belongs to actually a religious minority within Syria and within the broader uh, Islamic Middle East. And so a lot of his support comes from other religious and ethnic minorities. Uh, that includes Christians, that includes Shia Muslims, that includes Kurds and Druze. Uh, m- almost all of the rebel groups are Sunni Muslim, which is the dominant group within uh, Islam. That's interesting. And and I'm trying to remember something. Um, Saddam Hussein, which group did he belong to? Well, he did belong to the um, dominant uh, group, the Sunni group, but... Uh, it's interesting. There's a connection here that a lot of 
Americans don't know of, and, and hasn't actually gotten a lot of play in the media coverage and all this. Uh, and that connection between Syria and Iraq is the Arab Socialist Ba'ath Party. Mm. And uh, some of our listeners may recall back uh, 10 years ago at the time of the beginning of the Iraq War, uh, talk of the Ba'ath Party in Iraq. That was the party, uh, political party that uh, Saddam Hussein was the head of. But the Ba'ath Party seized power in both Syria and Iraq in the 1960s. And, uh, and even briefly, in fact, created a, uh, united republic between Syria and Egypt. Uh, and that Ba'ath ideology emphasized socialism and it emphasized Arab nationalism. Uh, and so really, in many ways, it was more secular than religious in orientation. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to have Islamic fundamentalism, then being religious is not necessarily a good thing. Um, right. I think the Christians from reading this article in Syria feel that they've learned something from the Iraq experience. Um, after the fall of Saddam Hussein, I'm reading from the article now, they said uh, an estimated one and a half to two million Christians were there prior to the first Gulf War in 1991. Now the experts believe only about 250,000 to 400,000 Christians remain in Iraq today. So right. from that way of judging it, from that perspective, it's not been a good thing what has happened in Iraq. No, and what happens when you have the breakdown of law and order in any society, uh, it is almost always the minority groups in that society who are going to become the targets of violence. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and so for Christians in Middle Eastern countries, that means that they have a big bullseye on their back whenever you have this kind of upheaval going on. And certainly the folks in Syria have seen what's happened, not only in Iraq, but what's been going on in Egypt and in Libya, where, uh, again, not as much coverage on the mainstream media as you would like, but certainly Coptic Christians in Egypt and Libya have been repeatedly attacked and their churches bombed and uh, subject to violence and death. Mm. And, um, you know... They don't want to see that happening in their own country. Mm. Well, today on A Plain Answer, we're talking again about Syria. On the phone line with me is Dr. Hans Vogt, professor at Ulster County Community College. And in particular, these Syrian Christians are concerned that a Western attack could actually make things worse. Stay with us. We'll be right back on the other side of the break. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. 
We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me today on the phone line is Dr. Hans Vogt. We're talking about Syrian Christians and how that some of them, maybe all of them, or at least most of them, believe that a Western attack on their country would actually make things worse for them as Christians existing in Syria. Um, before we go too far, uh, Hans, I'm wondering... What kind of Christians are there in Syria? Um, I feel so very ignorant. Uh, All that we know, all that I know, is American Christianity. And this is such a large world. Uh, What kind of Christians do we find? And by that I mean uh, denomination or um, Christian tradition. And and the reason I'm asking this is just by way of education and also by way of saying that, hey, um, we have a lot in common with these Christians, these brothers and sisters in the Lord. We may not agree 100% down the line, but we, when we compare what we all believe concerning the Lord Jesus Christ as being the Savior of the world, compared to what, let's say, Islam would teach, then we do have an awful lot in common. So with that as um, the backdrop, uh, what what kind of Christians do we see um, there in Syria and some of these other countries over in that part of the world? Right. We have a really quite a variety uh, of different Christian denominations uh, within Syria. Uh, most of them are fall into one of two branches. One is the Greek Orthodox Church. And in fact, the largest single Christian denomination in Syria is the Greek Orthodox Church of Antioch. Mm. Uh, And then the second one is the Melkite Church, uh, which is Orthodox in its, that is, Orthodox as in Eastern Rite, Mm -hmm. in terms of its liturgy and its practice. Uh, So the liturgy would be similar to a Greek Orthodox service, uh, priests can marry, but they are in communion with the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And then you have a number of smaller denominations, the uh, which are Syriac or Chals- um, Chalcedian. And these are um, branches of Christianity we know very little b- about in the West. Um, they broke off a long time ago. Basically, uh, the Council of Chalcedon, which is back in the 450s A.D., and they disagreed with one of the conclu- conclusions of that council, and uh, and so they split away. 
Uh, and they, many of them, are ethnically Assyrian. So they are actually descendants of the people, the Assyrians in the Bible, the Assyrian mm. Empire. Wow. And they still p- speak a language which is very close to the Aramaic that Jesus and his disciples would have spoken mm. 2,000 years ago. Mm. This whole area just really... I find it very fascinating. And so these Christians from various walks of tradition, um, I think it's safe to say are, are, are often persecuted. They're very concerned about what kind of policy that may come out of the White House and Capitol Hill and get foisted upon them thousands of miles away without um, being properly informed as to their own plight. Right. I mean, uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, Jeff Tenecliffe, who's the uh, Secretary General of the World Evangelical Alliance, sent a letter to the State Department um, just yesterday saying there is major consensus among the Christian leaders in this region that any military action would have a detrimental effect on Christians in Syria. Mm. Uh, And he said he couldn't find a single Christian leader who supported military intervention, And he said that two Syrian pastors had told him independently that Christians have received threats from Islamists who say that a a regime change in Syria would basically mean Christians would be forced out of the country. And I I happened to notice there was a quotation here earlier. You mentioned the Melkite, uh, Greek Catholic. Uh, There's this patriarch over there of Antioch in Syria, Gregory III Laham. Uh, He he says that any military intervention by the United States in this country would be a, quote, criminal act. So this is really serious uh, with these people. Absolutely. I mean, one of the aspects of just war theory uh, is whether or not the military action has any plausible chance of success Mm. and what impact it's going to have on the people in that area. And this is a crucial aspect that I think is not being considered right now by the leaders in Washington, D.C. Um, we need to be listening to the people who actually live in the region who have probably a much better understanding mm. uh, than some of our officials do when they're telling us, here's what the impact is going to be. Mm. Yeah. The tendency uh, for us here is to, to flip on one of the news channels and watch whatever develops, almost as a video game. We're separated so much from the reality on the ground, and and the the news agencies are competing with each other for viewership, and so it's constant, quote-unquote, breaking news, and everybody loves to see a missile going off, but they don't think about the consequences afterwards. I was reading another paragraph here. It says, Observers believe tens of thousands of Christians have fled the conflict zones. They're talking about since the outbreak of civil war in 2011. Some going into internal exile and others seeking refuge in neighboring countries. Lebanon, Jordan, Turkey, Armenia. And it's estimated that in May there were about 10,000 Christian refugees from Syria in the nation of Lebanon alone. Uh, so uh, just imagine, um, we, we think it's hard when our job changes or we lose a job and we have to move um, maybe um, um, 100 miles or, or even more. 
These people are losing everything they have, and they're fleeing for their very life. And so it's it's hard to relate to what's going on. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, you know, Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham's uh, organization, reports that there are over 50,000 refugees who have fled Syria into northern Iraq in the past month. Mm. Uh, half of them children, and many of these are children who have been separated from their families. Uh, so you can imagine, particularly these children who have been forced to flee their home, they're separated from their families, they're utterly lost and confused and, you know, just feeling alone. Um, probably two million have fled uh, Syria since the, the start of this war. Um, and a lot of these are well-educated, middle-class families, mm-hmm. uh, and and some of them are even, you know, they, they're kind of embarrassed about being refugees uh, and being put into a position where they have to depend on, on the kindness of strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a very tragic situation. Now here's an unrehearsed question, as all of them have been, really. Um, suppose you were... Um, the president right now, President um, Hans vote. I would vote for you, actually. I, I like that. But uh, suppose Hans uh, was our president right now. Um, what kind of decisions would you be apt to make um, knowing what you do right now regarding Syria? Well, I don't think, you know, airstrikes uh, or, or, or cruise missiles or whatever is the answer uh, at this point. Um, we do need to be, I think, working very hard to try to secure a, an end to this conflict. Um, and since, you know, right now uh, we have the leaders of the G20 in Russia, we're meeting right now in St. Petersburg, uh, and that includes Russia and China, who are the main superpowers backing Syria at this point, um, I would be putting a whole lot of pressure on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, using all the leverage I had to get them to put pressure on uh, their contacts in Syria to, you know, find an end to this conflict. Yes. And we, we certainly, I think everyone agrees that we, we don't want to see poisonous gas used against citizens or, or even enemies for that matter. It's just something that, uh, what was it, the Geneva Convention had outlawed that years ago? Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's it's an awful thing, this poisonous gas. But then again, killing people is an awful thing, no matter what you use, I suppose. Right. Um, there's a quotation at the end of this article. I've referred to it a lot. You sent it to me. The um, National Catholic Reporter um, by John L. Allen. There's a quotation here um, where he's quoting somebody, and it says, I believe there will be a time coming when Christians of the Middle East will no longer look to the West for support and perhaps to better strengthen their roots with the Eastern culture and civilization, dot, 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 to Russia, to India, to China, uh, is the quotation. Now, that's amazing that um, our country has so so thoroughly um, and quickly abandoned the Christian tradition such that uh, these Christians of the Middle East really now have serious doubts as to the support of America in their cause. Well, it is. It's, it's incredibly sad. You know, they naturally feel, and they, I think they have a right to feel, that they've been abandoned and overlooked and, and ignored, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to remember, as believers in America, that the Church is bigger than America. Yes. Uh, the body of Christ is 
found all over the world, and we're connected, and, you know, uh, we're to be praying for one another, building one another up in love, supporting one another, encouraging one another, you know, all those one another uh, exhortations that Paul makes. Uh, well, those don't just apply to our fellow Christians down the street or in the next state, but they also apply to uh, those Christians who are living in Syria, mm-hmm. in Iraq, in Egypt, in wherever they are on the globe. Mm. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is international in, in its flavor. It's not an American gospel. It's it's not a Syrian gospel. It's it's the gospel of Christ. And so we we must care for our Christian friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, whether they've got a Roman Catholic tag behind their name or a Greek Orthodox tag. Um, when you again, like we opened up, when you compare that to what we're facing with uh, radical Islam. Um, we have so much in common. Exactly. I mean, I, I to me, you know, it, it kind of goes back in many ways to Augustine's statement about, you know, in the essentials unity uh, and the non-essentials diversity in all things charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all agree on the Apostles' Creed. We all believe the essential tenets of the atoning sacrifice, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is fully God and fully man, that he is the Savior of the world. Um, we disagree about things, of course. Oh, and, sure. Uh, you know, and those theological debates are fun. <laughs> At least I think they're fun. <laughs> but, um, but still, the, the bottom line is we are in this together, and we do need to be uh, supporting and encouraging one another. Mm. So the next time we... We come across a news report, and it may not be in the mainstream media, by the way, where we do hear of these physical attacks, churches and meeting places being torched, Christian businesses being looted, and and sometimes Christian women being targeted for assault. Uh, We need to um, have a great, great compassion, great feel for for these brothers and sisters in the Lord and, and what they're going through. Uh, there's one report here, I guess it came from the Christian uh, Post in December of 2011, that fundamentalist taxi drivers in rebel-controlled areas of Syria had vowed to attack any unveiled female client who tend to be Christians. And so these people really have um, a bullseye on their back, as it were. And please, please pray for the Christians right now in particular that are in Syria and who are undergoing terrible stress and terrible time. Well, just a wrap-up thought today on the phone with uh, Dr. Hans Vogt, Professor, Ulster County Community College. Hans, just a wrap-up thought. I see we're just about out of time. Well, you know, when we talk about the situation, and uh, it's easy to uh, be swept up in rhetoric, uh, and certainly um, President Obama is a very eloquent speaker, uh, and certainly the, the tragedy uh, that's going on in Syria and the use of chemical weapons is an awful thing. But we need to avoid the trap uh, that the ends justify any and all means. Mm. Uh, and in many ways, I think a airstrike not only will it not change the situation, 
uh, on the ground. It won't take away chemical weapons. It won't change the government. It won't really do anything at all. But in a way, it will simply allow Americans to feel like there we made a statement about it and then go back to ignoring the situation. And that might be the worst consequence of all. Mm. Well put. Well, thank you so much, Hans, for joining us again here for another edition of A Plain Answer and a reminder to our listeners that this is available online, this particular discussion, as a podcast. Check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Also, if you have a comment for us today, our email address is ministry at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Quick reminder to please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.